Father, we thank you that we can come before your throne and that, God, we can hand our anxiety and our worry and our concerns over to you. Lord, maybe, maybe we can't kneel physically, but, Lord, we can kneel in our minds and in our wills and hand it to you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that's here right now that you administer us and speak into our lives as we go into the next phase of this service. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. Thank you, and thanks, everybody, for coming out today. I know that with school starting back up, and there's all kinds of things going on on the internet and social media, and I know that there's probably a lot of concerns and worries and, and fears about what's happening and what's going on. I know if you're watching online, I just want to say thank you for watching and continue to stay tuned in. And if you've got prayer requests, feel free to post those online. We're going to pray for those. We want to interact with you online. And so we're so grateful that you've tuned in online. Thank you so much. Would you make, leave a comment or give us a thumbs up or a, a like or a hug or something? Let us know you're online so that we can interact and talk with you. Well, today I brought with me my oldest son, um, he likes puzzles. Um, now, he's taken a while to work on this one. This is the 1980s, okay? And he started rolling his eyes at me when I started going, oh, there's He-Man. Oh, there's Mike Tyson. Oh, you know, there's the, uh, how many of you remember the Raisins, right? The singing Raisins. Look at all y'all. Like, yes! Um, and so he starts rolling his eyes. And I said, I know, I'm so old. I'm so old. Um, but this is a thousand-piece puzzle. That's a lot with small pictures, right? That's not, that's not really cool. Um, for those of us that don't like to work puzzles, I'm going to move this back so that I can give the people on this side of the house some loving. All right? And so he's working this. And when he works, how many of you have worked a puzzle before? Good. Okay. Now, when you work a puzzle, how many of you keep the box up in front of you? Let me see. Okay. All right. Well, um, why, why do we keep the box up in front of us? Why, why do we, you know, prop it up like that? Yes. Yes, so we can see what it's supposed to look like. Yes, and you were going to say the same thing, weren't you? He's like, yeah, but the girl jumped in and started talking before I could. It's a man, it's just man problems, dude. We'll live with it the rest of our life, okay? And so, so you, start with, you start with the end in mind, right? You start with that final product. You want to see what that looks like. Could you imagine... Putting a puzzle, a thousand pieces with a bunch of little pictures. Could you imagine putting that together and not having any clue what it's supposed to look like? No. Could you imagine, you know, in, in this area, this area used to be heavily, heavily um, manufacturing industry, right? And assembly lines and, and, and products. Could you, could you imagine trying to put a car together, not having any idea what it's supposed to look like when it rolls off the line. Some of you are like, Tyson, this is absurd. Quit, just, what's your point? 
Well, my point is this. When you start something, you typically start with the end product already in your head, don't you? You start with an image of that end product. You, you know what you're shooting for. You know what you're, you're going for. It's kind of human nature because that end product of what you want provides hope and it provides motivation and it, and it pushes you to move forward, does it not? It's like, yes, I want to do this. Right? I'm going to accomplish this. I, I, want to get, I want to get this done. And so we start with the end of mind. In fact, in Franklin, uh, Franklin Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that's his third point. He says that people who are highly, highly effective start with the end in mind. They already know what they want before they begin. And some of you, many of you might even be asking yourself, okay, who is this river church? Who, why, why is the river called the river? I had a dinner this week with Gwen, and she's like, you need to preach on that. And Gwen, you didn't know that this was actually already planned when you said that. <laughs> so the Lord spoke through you and just gave confirmation. So um, and you say, like, why do you call it the river? Like, what, what does that mean? There's, there's no, there's like, we're not even close to the Mississippi or the Ohio. What in blue blazes, like the White River? And I canoed the White River Friday, and I can tell you, I probably could have waded through most of it, right? It's not that deep. There's a few spots where I actually put my oar completely underwater, but there was only one place like that. Um, it, why the river? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And the first off, the why, as we, as we go through this, you'll see, the river is the end product. The river is the end product of our, if I can be so crude, call it a spiritual assembly line, right? And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Before I go any further, though, I do need to give some credit to where credit is due. How many of you were here last week or watched online and saw... Uh, Josh Strange did an amazing job, and he's hanging his head in embarrassment right now, but thank you. Give Josh a round of applause. Um, <laughs> um, I, I usually, because, you know, like this is my job, I have time to prepare. I threw that on Josh like late Wednesday night, and he's like, huh? And I said, listen, you're a teacher. You stand up in front of a class for 45 minutes all week long. You've got 20 to 30 minutes. You'll be fine. Let me help you with the theology and the doctrine and the scripture. You'll be fine. And so he did a great job. Thank you, Josh, for spur of the moment. I appreciate that. But in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, let's read it. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. And so if we back up to verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, okay? So this is the, this is the festival of feast. It typically lasts six days. They took a whole week and they just celebrated for an entire week. Doesn't that just sound like wonderful right now? 
you get together with a whole bunch of people and you just celebrate and you eat every day and you enjoy one another's company and you play games. Man, that sounds so good during quarantine period. But on the last day, on the last day, they did something ceremonially. Is that a word, ceremonially? <laughs> I just made it up. It's a word now. All right. So, yeah, I just Tysonized my sermon. I, t- I tend to just create words up, and, th- and there you go. So, on the last day, they had a ceremony. And on the last day, here's what they would do at the Festival of Feasts. They would get a pitcher, and they would go to the fountain or, they, or the stream. They would go to the stream of Shalom. Stream of Shalom. And they would get a pitcher, and they would put it in the current, and it would fill the pitcher. Okay? And this is the last and greatest day, and everybody's gathered together, and they would bring the pitcher in. And as they were bringing the pitcher into the temple, they knew that the water had come from the stream of peace, and they were bringing it in. And as they brought it in, they would blow trumpets, and they would celebrate, and they would bang tambourines and bang drums, and they would get loud and noisy and crazy and celebrate Right? For some of you, this was a hoedown, a, a, a he, he, Hebraic Jewish hoedown. And so they would bring it in, and they would celebrate, and they'd get excited, and it was loud, and it was raucous, and they were excited, and they would mix the water with the wine and then pour it over the altar to, to make their final sacrifice in this festival to God. Well, Jesus knows this is about to happen. He grew up in this. They, they, they celebrated this every year. Jesus knows what's about to happen. And to show you how revolutionary Jesus was, he literally, the, uh, scholars tell us, they believe that he stood up as everybody's starting to gather together, together to watch this water from the streams or from the river of Shalom, Shalom come into the city They're getting ready to gather, and Jesus stands up in front of everybody and just totally interrupts the whole thing. (laughs) What are you doing? Like, Jesus, don't interrupt our tradition. Don't interrupt what we've done for years and and thousands and thousands. Don't interrupt this. And he grabs, and, and as they start to come in, he stands up, and he makes an analogy it was funny, when we were canoeing on the river with my son Friday, I started talking about how the river is like life, and you got to pay attention, and you got to guide, and you got to navigate, and all of these things. And he goes, Dad, would you stop with the analogies? I said, buddy, I'm a preacher. It's just what I do. And, and so Jesus gets ready to stand up and make this analogy. And then he says in verse 38, again, he says, in verse 38, let's read it again. Who, um, he, or the end of 37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Listen, if you're a part of that celebration, that ceremony, you know exactly what he's talking about, right? This analogy, you're not going to miss this. In their culture, you're not missing this analogy. And in verse 37, he says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He says, let anyone who is thirsty, how many of you have ever been just so thirsty that your mouth is dry? I mean, like dry, like like 
Does anybody have the roof, the the tongue stick to the roof of your mouth? Yes. Yes. And if you've ever mowed the yard on a 100-degree day with 100% humidity, humidity, this has probably happened to you. Right? This has probably happened. And what do you want when you come in from mowing the yard or working hard? Yes. Okay, well, he's bought the big lie. He wants Gatorade. (laughs) All right. Well, what is, what is, what is, what what do most adults go for? If one of you says milk, I'm going to come down and kick you. (laughs) Water. We want water. Do you ever, whether you're working in the garden or mowing or whatever, you're just hot and sweaty. Do you come in going, give me the Coke? Do you come in going, give me the hot chocolate? No. What kind of goofball are you? No, you go, you want water. You want something fresh. You want something cold. You want something that, to, to get that gunk out of your mouth, right? You want some of that to get out. You got to cleanse that thing out. That's thirsty. That's thirsty. There was a gentleman that at one time, Wanted, wanted to know God, and he wanted to know God so well. He went to one of the ancient desert fathers of Christianity, and he said, I need to know God more. I, I need to understand God more. He says, okay, then meet me on the beach tomorrow at 6 a.m. And the guy's like, can't you just answer my question like you're a sage? You're a desert father. You live in the caves. Can't you just meet me? at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning on the beach. And he says, this is ridiculous. But okay, you're, you know, you're the wise sage. So he goes and he meets him on the beach and he meets him and he says, okay, now what do I have to do to draw closer to God and to be like Jesus? And the sage, the Christian sage, wades out into the water about waist deep and he says, follow me. What does this have to do? Am I going to learn to walk on water like Jesus? What's going on? But he, he follows him out there into the stream. And the sage says, okay, follow me a little further. And he wades out into the ocean a little deeper until the water's at his shoulders. And he says, okay. He goes, this is ridiculous. I'm going home. This is stupid. This has nothing to do with Jesus. Okay, I'll do it anyway. So he follows him out shoulder deep. He goes, are you ready? He goes, yeah, I I need to know how to draw closer to Jesus. He goes, okay, wait out with me. And the water is now up to just right at his mouth. And he goes, you know, you kind of take a breath. He goes, are you ready? He goes, yeah, this is the dumbest thing ever, though. And the sage reaches back behind his head and pushes him under the water and just holds him. And holds him underwater and holds him and holds him and holds him until he lets him come up. And right before he's about to pass out, he (gasps) comes up. And once he comes to and he gets his breath and he can kind of finally think because he was starting to pass out underwater, he goes, what was that about? He goes, what were you thinking about under there? He goes, I was thinking about oxygen. To be honest, I needed to breathe. He says, when you want Jesus as much as you wanted that oxygen, you'll start to look like Jesus. 
when we crave Jesus, as much as we crave oxygen, we'll start to look like Jesus, but not until then. There was a study done about five to ten years ago, a very interesting study that said Christians who only interact with Scripture, who only interact with Scripture one time a week, very little change in their life. Very little change. Christians who interact two times a week with Scripture, say they go to church and then they go to a group, or they read their Bible one time a week and then they go, very little, very little change. Three interactions, some change. They start to see some change in their demeanor. They start to see some change in their thought process. They start to see some change. But Christians who interact with the Bible four times or more during a week, church service, community group, reading the Bible on their own, four times a week, they begin to see drastic changes in their thought life, drastic changes in their attitude, drastic changes in the words that came out of their mouth, significant change with four interactions with the Bible during the week. Wow. Wow. Significant changes. They, they did this whole study on this. And so when you stop and you think about interacting with the Bible, when you think about desiring God to say, God, I need you. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I'm, when you're thirsty, when you crave it more than you crave anything else, when you come off, off the yard and your mouth is parched, I gotta, I gotta have water, I gotta have water, I gotta have water, right? And you just begin to drink God and you begin to drink God and you say, I need God, I need God. This is what I believe God is doing in this pandemic. One of the, one of the major things that I believe God is doing in this pandemic is he's creating a hunger and a thirst in the people of God to say, I got to get back to church. I can't stay. I can't stay where I'm at. The whole, the whole Greek word, church means ecclesia. It means to be physically called out, not virtually called out, physically called out to gather. And I believe God's putting a desire. Look at your neighbor and go, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. You need to say, I'm thirsty. I desire God. Jesus says, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. And remember, he's standing up in this big celebration doing this. And in verse 38, whoever believes, believes. The word believe has a completely different connotation for them back then than it does for us today. The word believe, how many of you, let, who, who drove here this morning? Just, just let me see. Okay, let me see your, I don't believe you, because the biggest place liars hang out is in the lobby of the church. I'll let that sink in and you guys can, that'll hit you about 3 o'clock in the morning. Let me see your keys. If you drove here this morning, let me see your keys. My keys are in the office. I would have, okay, all right. Now hold them up, hold them up. You got your whole purse. That's a big key. All right. Now, let me ask you something. When, do you believe those things will start your car? Okay. If you believe that, don't get out and go start your car right now because I'm preaching. But because you believe that, what do you do? What do you do with that? You walk out to your car you put it in, and you expect it to start up. What happens when it doesn't start? Right? And like you start seeing your bank account go, 
right? That's my first thought. Oh, no, what's this going to cost, right? (laughs) When you believe something, you act on it. How many times? God has been dealing with me. I'm just going to give you a little insight to how God's been dealing with me in the last week or two. I'll be at a restaurant, and God will say, tip them the full amount of your bill. But they gave me cruddy service. God says, tell them I'm praying. For, t- God says, tell them you're praying for them because you're going to pray for them, and then you're going to tip them the full amount of your bill. That's the dumbest thing ever. The service was cruddy. She never refilled my water. God says, you're not tipping her based on how she performed. You're tipping her based on how I view her. Oh, snap. God, why did you go there? Right? And so, at first, at first, I struggled. Because I'm like, is that God? Is that me? Is that God? Is that me? And anytime you think you hear God, what's the first thing you do? You line it up to the Word of God. What does the Bible say about tipping your server? Well, nothing. But it does say that you're supposed to be extremely generous as a Christian. Not based on how well they perform, based on who God says they are. Oh, okay. And so it hurts. Why is it that God spoke to me, but I had to question it? But I bet none of you sat down in that piece of metal and cloth and questioned whether or not it would hold you up. Sometimes we trust the cloth and the metal more than we trust the voice of God in our life. Why? Does God have our best interest in mind? Yes. Does God love us infinitely? Yes. Does God care about us beyond all measure? Yes. And yet sometimes when we hear the voice of God, we question it more than we question the chair we're sitting in. Why? Why do we do that? The word believe means in the Greek tense, it's presently active. It's not active in the past. It's not active in the future. It's right now active. It literally means that every day I get up and I believe God. I believe God over the circumstance I see in my life. I believe God over how I feel. I believe God over the way I think. I believe God over what I see in my physical body. I believe God beyond every circumstance that I can see. I believe the word of God over everything else. Some of you got quiet because... It probably hit too close to home, right? I believe God above everything else, and I trust him. I'm right now actively engaging in my belief. Every day, all day, I believe and trust God. So if God says, tip her the full amount of your bill, I don't go, gee, was that God? I just do it. I just believe it. I just go with it. Because the next thing he says Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from him. The word, the word living, the word living actually means that which is fresh and powerful. And I think some of us would do good to go to God and say, God, make my faith fresh again. Make my faith powerful again. How many of you remember that moment when you came to Christ? Let me see your hands. How many of you remember that moment? Yes. Do you remember the energy and the passion that you had? Like, I'm making a change right now. I'm making a change in my... What happened to that? 
Where'd that go? Jesus is actively present right now. You will have powerful streams of living water flowing out of you. Like a river. Right? What happened to that? Did, did we become numb to our Christianity? Did we become numb to just the way of living and that it's just kind of how it is and we just go with it and we let it go? The whole reason that when we started in our living room and then into the school was the end product. Remember to, to begin with the end in mind? If somebody walks in the door and doesn't know Jesus, for us, as the river, that's the end product. We want them to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and so in tune with the voice of God that the acts of God and the character of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit just flows out of them naturally like a river, as Jesus said in John 7.38. Do does a river ever stop and go, hmm, I wonder if I should flow today? I just don't... I just don't feel like going on downstream today, so I think I'll just stop right here and I'll wait. What kind of goofiness is that? Rivers don't stop and think about, hmm, do I want to go with the current or do I not want to go with the current? Do I want to, do I want to flow and move? And, 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 and No. But how many of us Christians go, I don't, I don't know if I really want to do that, God. Jesus says, mm -mm, it'll be so powerful and active and, and alive in your life that it will just flow naturally. So if somebody walks in our church doors that's never heard the name of Jesus, because there's a large growing number of them, the minority of people in the United States don't go to church, they've never heard the name of Jesus, they don't even know who Jesus is. And we start using Christian knees like, washed in the blood, and hallelujah, and they're like, what kind of cult is that where you wash each other in blood, right? Like, it, it's foreign to them. It, a lot of phrases that we use in church and a lot of songs that we've sung in church for years were written and sung. The phrases were used when the vast majority of the United States was Christian. And we've carried that on to a time now where the vast majority of the United States doesn't know anything about Jesus, doesn't even know what the Bible is, and we're still using the same language and the same stuff, and they're like, that's just weird, right? That's just odd. And so we use, we use what I call Christianese. It's, it's Christian terminology, and they're like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then we wonder why we can't reach them. We wonder why we can't get them to come through our doors. We wonder why we can't talk to them because we're still using Christian terms. It's, it's like if you were to, it's like if I were to drop you in the middle of Nepal or India and you just keep speaking English. <laughs> you would eventually figure out a way to communicate, but it would take you so long, you would damage a lot of relationships along the way. And they'd be like, I don't even know what that is. And you'd be struggling and you'd feel isolated and alone. And this is what's happening to the church in the United States. We've got to come to a place as a church where we can take our Christianese and, and their terminology and their verbiage so that when they walk through the door, they feel welcomed and they, and, and they feel invited. And that when we sit with them at, at work or when we talk to them at a restaurant, that it's, it's normal and that Christ just flows out of us. And why did you tip them like that? Why did you say that? 
it's the Holy Spirit in me, and it drives me, and it pushes me, and it motivates me to be more of Jesus. If the world needs more of anything right now, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Masks aren't going to set the world free. Oh, snap. Right? Like, I probably just got edited on social media. But face masks are not going to set the world free. Policies are not going to set the world free. What's going to set the world free is Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit moving through the body of Christ to say, this is what peace looks like. This is what unity looks like. This is what racial reconciliation looks like. This is what differences coming together to make a one body and one unit. This is what it looks like. But as long as we stay in our little hole like a recluse spider, that's exactly what we look like to the world. Don't go near that spider, you're going to get bit. Look, we gotta get, we got to stop this nonsense. We've got to love people where they're at. Be willing to come out of our shell and our box. Do you know why people are afraid of things they don't understand? They're afraid of things they don't know. We're afraid of people that we don't know. We're afraid of people that we haven't developed a relationship with. I, I've noticed that it's real easy for us to knock politicians when we don't actually know them. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on on that. It's easy to knock and make fun of somebody when you don't know them. But get to know them, sit down and talk with them, develop a relationship with them, it becomes harder to start knocking them, making fun of them. You know how I know? I've got friends in politics on both sides of the aisle and on the third aisle and various parties. And, and I've got friends and we have relationships. And, and I talk to them and I can tell you, it's much harder for me to knock somebody when I know them. Think about it. The only way you really know some of these people is whatever is printed in the newspaper or said on the news. It's the only way you know them. Right? Go talk to the people that have the relationships with them. Develop, it's a lot harder to make fun of somebody or to be prejudiced against somebody when you've developed relationships. And those of us with the power of God and the anointing of God flowing through our lives, that's what we want, is the relationship. Jesus, Jesus had every right to stay in heaven and be like, <laughs> nope, I'm just going to sit here and zap you all with lightning bolts and plagues and open up the earth and swallow you guys. And, but he didn't do that. He said, you know what, I'm going to step. I'm going to step into time. I'm going to step into space. And I'm going to constrain my power to space and time. And I'm going to go down and I'm going to show them how to live. But I'm going to do something more than just show them how to live because there's a greater purpose to all of this than just trying to be morally fit and morally be a better person. He goes, I'm going to go down there and offer them eternal life. And it's going to cost me something. Jesus came out of heaven as a baby in that manger with the end in mind. And the end wasn't the cross. The end was the resurrection. That was his goal. And I, I might even, can I go even further with that to say that maybe the end wasn't even the resurrection. The end was the coming kingdom that will rule and reign forever that you and I get to be a part of. That you and I should be bringing other people to. That's 
I mean, I've read Revelation. We win. We win. I have news for you. At some point, COVID goes away. At some point, the craziness and the lunacy goes away. Because there's a kingdom coming, not of this earth. And we are called to be a part of that. As we close out, as we get ready to close out, and the band can come on up. I want to invite you this morning, as we close out with this final song, if you want to kneel at your seat, if you want to come to the altar, if you're watching online, I just want to invite you to kneel at wherever you are. And if you're watching online and maybe you've never given your life to Christ, to say, God, I want you fully in charge. If you're here this morning and you've never fully dedicated your life to Christ, I want to invite you to begin with the end in mind today. What's the end? Heaven. Eternity. That's the end result of all of this. Can you yield everything that you are to the end result? So that as Jesus says, you would have rivers of living water flowing out of you, that it would impact people around you. You know, a river doesn't just impact the little, everything between the banks. The river impacts stuff outside the banks and brings life to it. Don't believe me? Take a look at the Nile. It's in the middle of a desert, but within so many miles, you can farm like nobody's business and bring life. Let's stand this morning. If you're online this morning and you're giving your life to Christ, would you just make a comment that you've dedicated your life to Christ today? We want to get in touch with you. We want to pray with you. If you're here this morning, I want to invite you to either come forward or see me out in the lobby after service. I want to pray with you and believe that God is going to provide in your life a river of living water that flows. Trust what you say that you're good and your love is great. I'm broken inside, I give you my life. Sing, I may be weak, cause I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me.
have an amazing week. Go out in the world, share Jesus with somebody. This world's ready to hear some good news. Amen? Amen. Go be the good news. We love you.